0: everybody welcome to the new world pictures podcast bonus episode i'm ryan with me as always is mark
1: really disappointed in myself why mark well, we'll get to it we'll get to it
2: and erica oh wow i feel really great about myself what a weird what an awkward position for you ryan how do you feel about yourself
0: i'm pretty middle of the road so i think Fair. we're hitting all the different uh, kind of feelings you could have and we are in the midst if you guys didn't know, we are we are kicking things off, let's say. We're not in the midst. We're kicking things off. We're kicking off Forbidden World Month. Woo! Yeah. Yeah. 30, 30 s- days
1: of Forbidden Worlds.
0: We are celebrating Forbidden World, and with two different interviews, we're going to talk about the film itself, and then we're going to talk about Wavelength. The film. <laughs> Which oh. is not Forbidden World. No, but, you know, there's... A fourth week in the month, so it's and it, you know, saying so. we're
1: celebrating Forbidden World three weeks,
0: yeah, it doesn't it's not as catchy, yeah. it's not as fun, yeah. It's, yeah. So you got to say yeah. make it a month, and then you just you know we, that next we'll just also talk about Wavelength, which is sci-fi, so it's still yeah. in the genre, so Absolutely. and it's no, no not, one, it's no only one. a year remove, a year or so removed from Forbidden World, so nobody's you know, gonna call us out on this. No, no it one will be will. okay, not a single yeah, we're, person, we're but. In this episode, we get to talk to Susan Justin, who is uh, the wife of Alan Holzman, who directed the film and edited the film. She does the score for this, but she also does music for a bunch of other New World films, which we're going to talk to her about. She, uh, and also, after this, she did uh, The Final Terror. So she's done a bunch of music for other things, including Grunt the Wrestling Movie. We'll talk to her a little bit about Striker. we we'll are talk to her about a whole bunch of stuff, including her past and the fact that she was almost a member I'm an ex- incredibly popular legendary rock band.
1: Uh, yeah.
0: But Mark is not I, feeling I, good. I, so I'm just
1: I need to say, just really quick. sure, I, this is one of the rare opportunities I had a chance to talk a little bit about synthesizers. sure with someone who who knows synthesizers. and in my I got a little stage fright. I was also just wrapping up a mountain Dew major melon. And said, said so Mountain Dew said, fans know where you're at, where your head is at.
2: Sorry, you mean a triple M? <laughs> <laughs> well,
1: it's an MDMM. But, Wait, oh, uh, mm, no, uh-oh. Uh-oh. <laughs> Sounds the, like there's
0: drugs involved.
1: I said model three, moog mode model three, and it's model D. I don't know why I say three. Oh, Everyone knows it's a D. You idiot. I realized as I said, I'm like, that doesn't sound right. You but that was the major fool. melon. The major melon. That was, was the major melon was talking. Was talking. That was the major melon me. talking. Yeah, for sure. yeah. So uh I apologize for major melon's mishap.
0: I think that's also a t-shirt somewhere. <laughs> Well, I also made a mishap too. Um, but we talk about the the song that she wrote for a Grunt the Wrestling movie, which is "Do You Want to Dance?" and I said, "Come dance with me." Huh.
2: Looks like I just so. handled the episode and interview perfectly as usual.
1: <laughs> Nailed it. Wouldn't that be
0: the Lords of the New Church song? Come <laughs> dance with me. You're probably right. I confused it with another project that she's working on, so I I messed it. I just. Put those no, things together. That into explains a why she title. said,
1: Ryan, what the fuck are you talking right. about? Right.
0: She was like, huh, I don't remember that. And I'm like, oh, well, yeah. Well, a good reason for that. I'm making up a title of a song uh, that you didn't write. So, um, so yeah, I messed that up. And uh, I don't even have a Mountain Dew to blame. So I'm Mountain Dewless. But you do have a major melon.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Let's hear it for Susan.
3: <laughs> <laughs>
0: so exciting because we're going to be devoting a month to Forbidden World, which is... I heard about that. Yeah.
4: <laughs> and, you know, I have to say that after seeing Forbidden World in that movie theater, I'm so glad you invited us to come there because it looked good. It sounded yeah. good. And I, you know, I, I never realized it was really that cool. <laughs> 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 so, you know it it was very exciting so you you know renewed my interest in that oh, that whole project
0: that's, that's so good that's so great to hear yeah alan was very positive about it too and that makes me really happy that you guys both uh had such a positive experience after that that was great um so let's go back let's talk about your past uh okay. i know you went to school and you and you and, <laughs> and you know you studied music and you got a ba in music uh, um i think from ucla when but when did you first get interested in music?
4: Well, when I was five, I had the Silent Night solo in kindergarten.
0: Oh, wow. <sighs> wow. Oh, my gosh. That
2: is adorable.
3: That was my, <laughs>
4: first, that was my first hit of uh, <laughs> applause.
1: Yeah. Mm, mm, yeah.
4: Just never got over it. <laughs> right. <Yeah.
1: laughs> You're always chasing it after that.
4: Yeah. And and because I learned to read music uh, well, when I was little at school in fifth grade, I was the accompanist. They would put something in front of me and I could read it. Oh, wow. And that, you know, that followed me all the way through high school. (laughs) I accompanied all the choirs and sometimes, you know, in the in the uh, band, in the orchestra, too. So played a lot of piano. It was, uh, you know, I think my aunt had a lot to do with it. She was visiting, and uh, my parents had gotten a piano because my mother wanted to learn how to play the piano, but she never did, and I, <laughs> I did. And my aunt gave me this card 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 thing that you like, put behind the keys, and each key has the note on the staff. Oh. And that's pretty much how I figured out how to, you know, play like really simple tunes, like mm-hmm. five finger tunes, because I could match. And then and then um, when I was seven, they started piano lessons and that went until 15. Wow. And at that point, I started teaching piano.
0: Wow at 15 yeah
4: Yeah. and it went pretty well too it was fun
0: (laughs) (laughs)
2: well I can imagine for the the students that you taught as well because like most of my friends took piano lessons growing up I myself took piano lessons growing up and I Mm -hmm. I only remember this is horrible I only remember that my teacher seemed ancient so I can imagine like if a 15 year old came in, I'd be like, how cool, like I'm learning from a teen because I felt like, so I thought only like ancient people played piano. I didn't realize it was, I was like, why do I have to learn this? I'm so yeah. young. Yeah. This is only for old people.
0: <laughs> Mark and I... I had the same piano teacher and mm-hmm. I, she would always frustrate me because every week I'd show up for my lesson and she'd get mad and say, you didn't practice once. And I was like, Pff. How did you know? Um, you know, it would be very it would be so frustrating. It was like, God, I really thought I would be able to pull it off this week, but uh you got me. You got me. I didn't I didn't practice
1: once. So I would say that if our piano teacher was 15, I would be more inspired <laughs> to practice. Because I would be like
2: right?
3: I'd be like,
1: listen, listen, I can do more than green sleeves. I'm 16. Really? <laughs> <clears throat> yeah. So
4: well, see, I was 15. And I was actually teaching some of my friends who were wow. musicians in other ways, but they wanted to do piano. And so that was really fun, too. And so we would do I, I guess I was into uh, musicals a lot then. Uh huh. So you know, like the t- my parents took me to a few musicals at mm-hmm. that age. And then I would just get the book for the musical and just read the whole thing. And My mom let me do that instead of set the table. I would just play piano and she'd be (laughs) in the kitchen and I would stop when the, when the dinner was ready.
0: So you got (laughs) out of uh, setting up for dinner by playing piano. That's pretty great.
4: Yeah. It worked out really well. (laughs) Plus my mother (laughs) sang. So she was the kind of person who always went up in a bar. She, she did a tune. Okay. And, And my father, his dad had a music store, uh, Outside of Chicago, and actually played with John Philip Sousa when he would come to town. Wow. They, whoever the kind of session players were, yeah, they would they would just you know step in line with them. So my father, when I was growing up, played really loud music. He made these um, speaker things in in a wooden cabinet,
3: mm-hmm. and
4: they really cranked. I mean, you could like hear it down the street. So there was a <laughs> lot of You know, no wonder rock and roll seemed okay to me. It was very loud.
0: (laughs) Yeah. So, at what point do you start um, playing with a band?
4: Well, um, when I graduated UCLA, I don't think I actually had a band until around when I met Alan, which was probably in like '78 or something like that. Okay. And I was doing. I was starting to write songs, and I was playing playing them for my friends. And then I started doing piano vocals at at like open mics and clubs that, you know, would do piano vocal stuff. Uh, Well, I I have to tell you about one really cool thing that happened when I was playing a um, open mic. This guy Skip E. Lowe had a a show at at, uh, the Hyatt, you know, like one night a week. Mm -hmm. And so I did my set there. I hadn't written that many songs at that point, but I played them all. and. The agent came up uh, for Van Halen and asked me if I would come to a meeting, and uh, he wanted to talk to me about, you know, singing. So, <laughs> I go to the I go to the meeting, and two of the brothers are there. Wow! You know, Eddie Van Halen and I can't wow. remember his brother's name. So I was there on the couch, like,
3: shit. <laughs> 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 oh, so wow. I did
4: an audition and I and they asked me to be a vocalist keyboard player and I was too afraid to go oh (laughs) (laughs) no it was in New York and I didn't go and I stayed with Alan and I wasn't brave enough to go you know out and tour
1: wow so you know I don't blame you for that I would have done the same thing uh first of all i would never been invited to begin with but <laughs> had i got that far i i there's um you know i played in a number of bands and i had to really struggle with stage fright like i would really mm. that that one really that would really get me i always imagined that i was going to be a rock star someday but like playing on stage and the the fear of just completely biffing through an entire song mm. uh, it really kind of held me back Hmm. um so um i'm sure so you should be like how did you not go but i totally get it i would have been like you know what things in la are good i'll just hang out here
2: <laughs> see i have the opposite problem i have zero stage fright but no talent no talent at all yeah. so, so you can take any stage not a tough. problem but just i can offer nothing to the audience so i can offer zero <laughs>
0: But temporarily, you were a member of Van Halen. So let's just yes. say that. Yeah, so that's yeah. pretty
2: cool. I mean, yeah, I, mean. I, I
4: remember what that room looked like. And the people in it very well.
0: Yeah. Well, that was your <laughs> that was your time in the band. Mm-hmm. You know? <laughs> yeah. When you get interviewed from behind the music, that's the thing you can talk about. For your, you know. <laughs> so you eventually, though, you, you started... Playing more than just yourself, right? Like you started playing with friends and putting a band together. Is that? Yeah, how- and
4: it's funny because I got I got out some of my old bios and um, and stuff that people had written about me, like in Music Connection or you know Variety or what you know whatever it was. And um, one of the things that I don't even remember is that the first band that I put together was um, with three uh, Japanese guys. And they had all studied at uh, Berkeley, you now the, the big jazz place. And they weren't very good at New Wave, but I had my little Wurlitzer and we were playing at the Music Machine, which was then became Club 88, right on Pico in, in West LA. Mm.
2: For his so then we so then we went
4: on to you know put another band together and that one stuck for a while that was the susan justin band and and we played a lot of different clubs it was fun and not like you know every week sure, you know, like one or two times a month because you got to have a lot of people mm-hmm. you know following you to to fill a place so there were there were um, some places that were really um, really fun to to work because my my favorite ended up being the central uh, uh, which is now the Viper Room.
3: Oh, okay.
4: Had, A, it was on Sunset. B, it was just the right size for the number of people that I had to mm-hmm. put in there, and the sound was always good, and the people were nice, and so that was my favorite place, and I probably played that place. Uh, the most and then there were there were a couple places like madam wong's east and madam wong's west good chinese food (laughs) i played the troubadour once i think maybe twice but one of the nights was um the day that john lennon passed oh Mm. well he didn't pass you know got
0: yeah Yeah. yes right Right. um was that with the susan justin band or was that with the pink plastic
4: good question because i you know i don't remember really what year that happened do you
0: i i i don't uh offhand i think it was probably late 80s or something Um, No, okay real-time research Gotta let's get, do it real-time it research get yeah. it so while, while it, you're looking that up everybody place your bets and was the, not, december 8th 1980 mm. is oh, when he oh, passed. 1980
3: 80. Wow. yeah
0: at, at that time was the
1: was your lead instrument the Wurlitzer that you were playing at at that time
4: it could have been but you know um i'm not sure the first the first synthesizer i had was a juno sixty. and it was pretty cool it was really good sounding Mm -hmm. and and i don't really know when that came out but a friend uh i wrote some music for a friend's film and he gifted me the juno 60 after we finished the project and i used that for a long time it wasn't it wasn't huge Mm -hmm. so you know moving it around was great and just had really cool sounds (laughs)
0: <laughs> what do you remember what film that was was it like somebody's Did I in? oh yeah. no it
4: was more like uh actually it's it's rick carter the production designer he was he wanted to be a director at that time but okay he ended up being a production designer <laughs> <laughs> which uh, he's really well suited for anyway it was his project and he he had put together a movie and i scored it and that was probably one of my one of my first like practice scores when I think about it I don't think I had scored anything before then
0: did you score anything between that and and before Forbidden World you were doing like additional music you did some additional music and uh like for Firecracker I think maybe some of the scenes that Alan directed for that film
4: yeah and that you know that's an embarrassing story but I'll tell it anyway
0: (laughs) please (laughs) do do. that's that's why we're here
4: (laughs) (laughs) so Alan was doing the trailer for Firecracker. And so he got me the job to do the music. And I got too close to Henry Mancini's... (laughs) You know, I had the bass loop thing happening. I changed it, but not enough. And uh, they had to pay Mancini for it
0: oh oh no (laughs) oh
1: no roger did an ice ice
0: situation (laughs) roger had to pay the money yikes shoot
4: but what's funny is i think he had to pay the money because he wanted to keep it Mm. so you know too it wasn't like after the fact
0: did he use it for uh, anything else do you know
4: i don't know i don't think so I, I don't think you would pay twice for it you know
0: <laughs> <laughs> that's true that's true
4: so yeah so I learned an important thing you know change change it
0: just enough change it just <laughs> no, enough, enough right did you just do the music for the trailer or did you do music for the for some of the scenes in the film too
4: I did I think I remember I did a scene that was really disgusting about somebody getting their head squeezed in a in a vice on a you know in a garage on a
3: bench mm-hmm, mm-hmm. i kind of
4: remember that and I, I don't remember what the music was like but yeah i remember doing that there was also a thing where alan tells a good story about about this i i couldn't retell it but uh, it was a love scene yes and I think they were right. standing on a bed with knives yeah they were cutting and cutting and they I cut got, the
0: clothes off of each other with these yeah. kung fu knives yeah
3: So
4: I got to score that too. Okay,
0: oh, cool. <laughs> that's awesome. Now, at this point in that's time, are you, are you still playing with your band?
4: There was uh some of the musicians came and went and came back and went. You know, that probably I probably had a band for ten years on and off. Mm. And was thinking. it your
1: was it your intention yeah. to become like a to be a part of a touring band and write albums and the whole like that whole side, or was your thought like? I'll do this but really being a composer writing music for film or for the stage is really where your heart was like where where were you along that spectrum
4: You know I di- I didn't re- I kind of just went to wherever the fun was and the and the actual <laughs> you know request because <laughs> you know uh doing anything like that that's um it's not a job job you know they come mm-hmm. and they go then, you know, because I, I often tell people that I I've I really worn a lot of different musical hats because, you know, stuff changes or, you, you know, you have to go and do something else and, and you can't take that job. But, you know, there's another job that comes up. So pretty much for me, anything that was music and fun, I was willing to give it a try. So the band thing, I wouldn't say that I was like the most gung ho performer. Although uh, it was fun, I enjoyed the rehearsals the most. Yeah, you know, like putting stuff together. And I was pretty most of the time. I was the writer. I had some people in the band that also wrote, and we did some of their songs too. But um, I tended to be the writer, and and partly because I never felt like I could improvise. I could improvise mm. to write. But I had no training whatsoever, being like in a group mm-hmm. and jamming,
3: mm. Mm.
4: not a jammer.
1: <laughs> <laughs> um, that, that should be a t-shirt. I, yeah, not a jammer. Not a jammer.
2: <laughs>
4: <laughs> you know, that's a whole, you know, that's a whole nother skill. And I spent all of my, you know, years up until I was really up until I graduated uh, UCLA, I was you know playing some serious uh, classical stuff, but all the time I was an accompanist. like mm-hmm. I got hired at UCLA to play. I got mm-hmm. you know I I didn't have any trouble getting hired as an accompanist and really enjoyed it and I I really think the reason that I that I can write a good melody is because yeah I played so many tunes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, and mostly not not as much for instrumentalists, a little bit for instrumentalists, but mostly for singers and for choruses. So, you know, have it, and musicals being in the pit, you right. know, playing right. shows, you know, that's probably some of the the most accessible melodic experience you can get. You know, in a musical, it's really fun that way. So, I think all that really contributed to being able to write. And when I write, I don't necessarily do it on the piano, the melody, I sing it in my head Mm -hmm. or, you know, out loud I can hear it. The melody just comes to me first and then I figure out how to arrange it. So
1: do you record like an audio version of it and then come back to it later or when you have it in your head, do you then sit at a piano and think, okay, how, how can I translate that to the instrument?
4: It kind of depends. I used to write things down a lot. And then, you know, as digital software became more flexible and a little easier to use, then you know, I when I'm writing now and and I'm working still working on this musical, I'll I'll sit here. I'm in I'm in this is my studio here.
0: Oh cool. Oh cool. My got some music stands here, got your speakers. Yeah.
4: yeah. And the keyboard is Got the
0: keyboard there. Okay. Nice.
4: Yeah. Uh, so the guest room is the studio.
0: <laughs> so,
4: so now I kind of, I kind of, because I have to record whatever I write to show and, mm-hmm. you know, they have to pass on it. So instead of sitting and writing everything down and doing it at the piano, I just come in here and I try to put the whole thing together at the same time,
3: mm-hmm.
4: you know, mm-hmm. and, and um, arrange it, too, so that I have bass, drums, you know, other stuff going on, because they're more likely to say yes, if it mm-hmm. sounds a little more together, I think.
0: Right. So how did that how, did the, how does that work then when you're scoring music for a movie? Um, because I know when you started working like for, for Forbidden World, you've done a little bit on Firecracker and you, d- you did your friend's film. But then um, Alan brings you in to do the music for Forbidden World. And I know you, you, couldn't, you couldn't just sit and write something. You had to write it to the edit. Like you were writing music for, to be placed in, in a certain period of time. And you're, so you're writing directly for editing, right?
4: Yeah. And it was all on paper. So you know, I was at the piano and I would write the whole thing out. And I had already taken a BMI film scoring workshop and an ASCAP. Film scoring workshop. It was really cool. I I wrote something for a documentary that Alan put together about stuttering, mm-hmm. and I wrote the the opening theme for it. And so when I applied for the uh, BMI workshop, I I showed the guy um, Earl Hagen, who did like a huge amount of TV, you know, back in the day, and he called me and he really liked it. So that was just so that was so cool, and I met some really nice people when I took that um, workshop. And then I did another one with ASCAP. It it wasn't I don't know wasn't quite as much fun as the uh, as the BMI. But I am an ASCAPper,
0: <laughs> not a jammer, but an ASCAPper. <laughs> yeah, another T-shirt. So,
3: so <laughs> <laughs>
4: time um the code you know whatever you know i would sit with alan and he would say you know this happens here and this happens there so it wasn't it wasn't random it was you know you're trying to hit it you know okay now since then like i've done a lot of documentaries and in documentaries you don't really have to hit anything yeah mm-hmm. It's much easier in that respect, you know so you you have to have the right vibe and it has to it has to be um, you know a scope that you can speak over. so mm. um that can just be you know free form and and it, and if you make it easy enough that it can cut you know here and there and size it, you know so I did a lot of documentaries after the the uh, exploitation
0: movies. right (laughs) yes
4: and um that was a bit easier yeah but by that time you know i the book that this guy wrote earl Hagen, had all these um i wish i could remember what they're called but they're like charts with different metronome markings and um so it was very mathematical
3: Hmm.
4: and um you know, not the easiest thing to do much easier now where you know, you're watching it you have it at home and
0: right. Right. Right.
4: You you can manipulate everything. You know, if I write something, I I can do this in the musical too. If I write something now, I can transpose the whole thing without changing the tempo. I can stretch it if I Mm -hmm. want it to be a different tempo or hit something, you know, or compress it, you know, it's just so amazing
0: right mm-hmm. right
1: when
4: you and uh, if i sing something wrong i can auto tune it
0: right of
3: <laughs> yeah. yeah that's
1: true yeah. when you were working on forbidden world uh, i mean you're not you obviously don't have the same luxury of being able to see it as you're recording it so i, I mean help me understand what that process was like so alan's giving you these different marks that you need to hit when do you actually see the music inserted into the film? Is it, are you seeing it in parts and you're able to kind of review it and say, oh, that part's not quite getting what I wanted it to get, being able to adjust? Or is it kind of, you're a little bit flying blind and then you see it when it's, when it's ready to go and you're like, well, I'm glad it worked. Like how much, how much um, I guess, fine tuning were you able to do?
4: Well, first of all, there's a good chance Alan is going to make it work if he can,
3: you know, <laughs> Of course, from his
4: end. So he's not totally rigid like that. But I, I remember sitting with him and my clipboard and, you know, you write down every, you know, beginning of this and, you know, the next cut. And this is important, you, you know, someone's getting killed here. You got to stab that, you know. Right. All those things go down, you know, in your notes. And, you do, and, then, and you're
0: using a stopwatch, right?
4: I don't think it was a stopwatch. I think I think it it was done on the what do you call the machine he was using then? I can't remember. The moviola.
0: Mm, okay.
4: So okay. there's code. So yeah, you're writing down the
0: code. Got it.
4: I think he and Alan's got a a, a kind of a sensational math brain. Mm-hmm. So you know the numbers. You know, if something wasn't working, he, he doesn't have any trouble telling me that it doesn't work.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Open lines um, of communication. Oh, yeah. <laughs> communication. <Right. laughs>
4: so um, it's kind of hard for me to remember back to what it was like in the editing room. But that's what I remember about it is that, you know, you had to take huge numbers of notes.
0: When Alan gets hired on to do Forbidden World, he's actually he shoots just like an opening eight to ten minutes. Uh, of this film to kind of show roger what he can do but i was watching a little bit of that today again and just kind of thinking oh but your music is on there did you score it at that time as well or did you only start to score the the movie once they went forward with the full production
4: i think he used temp music maybe okay
0: yeah okay that makes sense i mean there's
4: always the temp music element too i mean that's a really good way to communicate and because, and he, it,
0: and he uses some classical music there too in that, in that sequence yeah. as well. Yeah. Which I think, did you arrange that? I think he, he'd mentioned that you had arranged some of that music uh, for it.
4: The, the classical? Yeah. I don't think so.
0: Okay.
4: <laughs> I don't think, I don't think I played any of that.
0: Okay. I All think
4: right. that was a, um, you know, you can get
1: that for free kind of thing. Exactly. Yeah. 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 The way Roger wanted it.
3: How true, how true.
0: So when you start working on the score, you also were working with uh, Craig Huxley, right? How did you start to work with him on it?
4: First of all, I knew I wanted it to be synthesizers because, you know, I mean, that's what was happening then. Um, It was just starting to kind of creep into everything, you know, television. And and there were three session players that were getting most of the work. Uh, So I interviewed all three of them. And um, picked Craig. I don't remember a lot about the other two, but Craig was just a great guy. Had a home studio, you know. Went and looked at the studio, and at that point, I had played synthesizers a little bit, but he had a much more so- sophisticated. He had a Jupiter Eight, and he had he had been using it in a lot of different ways. He had some really cool instruments in his studio. His studio was pretty big. It was part of his home.
0: Now it, Mark is not, Mark is nodding, but you don't know this about Mark season, but Mark is a big, he's a synthesizer junkie and he's got <laughs> yeah. several of them behind him. I don't have uh, a. Maybe. I don't have a
1: Jupiter eight though.
0: That's an, um, that's like
1: one of the all time great classics way too expensive for me to afford one now, but yeah. yeah. Uh, and Juno 60 Jupiter eight. I mean, those were, those were some of Roland's greatest synthesizers. Um, and people are still trying to mimic that Jupiter sound because it was just such a unique, had such a unique filter, and just had so many modulation capabilities. It was just such a cool synthesizer. <laughs> I Really wish I had. And one. so,
4: are you still playing <laughs> on
1: occasion? Um, I on, very much on occasion. Um, I you know they mostly. Uh, I just don't have a lot of time, uh, so they I, yeah. I mostly dust them. And I turn them on <laughs> and I make sure they still work. And then I turn them off and I can say, I'll come back to you later.
0: and We'll spend some time together. In, in our regular episodes, though, Mark has written our theme song. Mm-hmm. So our theme song for the podcast is, is something Mark wrote.
4: Well, yeah. okay. Well, I, I have to hear it then.
0: Yeah. Yeah, go out to check out an episode of just a regular one of the movie episodes, not one of our interview ones and uh, or a bonus episodes. And that's Mark's Mark's mm-hmm. theme. Mm-hmm. OK, well, Mark. Well, which and which which uh, keyboard did you use to write that? Uh, that was a little bit
1: of the Juno 106. It was a, an Akai AX80. Uh, there's a little TX81Z uh, like a Yamaha. It was their um, lighter version of a DX7. <laughs> um, and then I'm using the Behringer, which was the uh model three, and it's the their version of the Moog model three. Hmm. Uh they had create they created like a much cheaper version that emulates it. It's also analog, but it's built to emulate the model three. So I use that too.
3: Wow. It's
0: the
1: only that's the only one. The only song that I've ever used that one on. I just bought it and I was really excited. So I probably leaned on it a little bit too much, but it was fun.
4: I've never even heard of Behringer. So, you know. Yeah.
1: They're like a, a, a German company that recently, for better or worse, uh, have invested a lot of time and money into creating cheap copies of old analog synthesizers because Mm. most of the the circuitry for those synthesizers have become public domain so they just grab the 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 blueprints for them and they make their own version that are a fraction of the price of what it would cost to buy one of those old synthesizers today and on the one hand a lot of people love them because they can get their hands on these sounds and they're not digital versions they're real analog so they're real analog emulation of these sounds for a fraction of the price at the same time purists are like it's garbage it's crap don't touch that stuff it's just <laughs> yeah. gonna break on you it's not as good as the real thing i'm probably somewhere in the middle on that spectrum <laughs>
0: <laughs> well so who can
1: afford the the other ones or I, some of them right oh so so, like, yeah i yeah. hear
4: they're like you know 40 grand for you know such and such a wow synth. yeah, yeah wow.
1: it is yeah. I
4: wish I would have kept the ones that I had. Yeah,
1: and that that uh, Juno sixty, if it was in good shape, that's you know ten twelve thousand dollars now.
3: Wow.
0: Yeah, <laughs> wild. That's wild. So Craig had all this stuff in his home studio. He had a lot of these kinds of the Jupiter eight and a lot of these different synthesizers. But he also had some of the uh, some other instru- interesting instruments that you use to do the score. Did he, is he the one that had the, um,
4: the water phone and the blaster.
0: Yeah. <laughs> right. Yes. The blaster beam with, which is like, explain what that is. Cause yeah. I, it is.
2: I have no idea.
4: Well, um, it's a very long steel beam and, um, you know, I mean you have to have a very big space to put this, you know, in a room and it's strung with, um, piano wire i mean i think it's not actually for a piano but somehow it's strung with metal and there's a there's a uh it kind of looks like a giant um spool and it's metal Mm -hmm. and he drags it across and um Wow! It, it just makes the whole thing roar. So it's very outstanding at the end of the of Forbidden World because it's it really makes like a roar. It's so
3: wow. cool.
0: Um, And that is a big part of it. The sound that that thing makes is just so interesting and so unusual.
4: And he would be like holding this thing and running the (laughs) length. I mean, (laughs) it was really fun. I wish, you know, if I had had an iPhone, then I would have videoed. Right, of course.
0: And how long was the beam? Like, how long is this metal beam? It's like it from, I mean, I've only seen like a picture of it, but it's not even the entire thing. So I don't even know how long it would be.
4: I think it was about 12 feet. wow wow wow
0: Wow. was this something he built himself
4: you know i don't remember about that i'm guessing maybe yes huh but you know it could it could have come from somewhere i i should look it up and see you know if there's any history for it i bet he's written up for it because you know no one's ever talked talked about it that i you know
3: that
0: i know yeah yeah it's so it's so unique it's such an interesting you know uh i know you got you used it again later um but like it's it's just not something that you hear a lot that sound is just so you know it's just such a unique sound you can do so many different things with it
4: yeah we did uh final terror there too
0: yeah yeah Yeah, the the, like that ending sequence with the uh with the the when the the logs coming down at the very end right yeah And it's sort of uh, uh, the impact it has that sound from the bl- blaster beam, and I think some of this interesting sounds that are, kind of pop up in the beginning of Forbidden World are also played on that blaster beam. You can really, once you know what what's making that sound, you can hear it at the different parts of the movie. It's and mm-hmm. and you know that oh, that's the blaster beam. But also, I thought that this the stuff you're doing with that like w- what the water basin. I, th- I thought water it was called but phone water water I- phone.
4: It kind of looked. Um, it wasn't huge. It kind of looked like um, like a stainless steel vase,
0: mm-hmm. and it
4: had these different um, different tines that were welded onto it, and they were different uh, lengths. So the cool thing was uh, a violin bow. So he would he would just vibrate the tines, and then the water kind of gets into it and sloshes around, and really like cre- creepy squeaky sounds.
3: Hmm.
4: And I I I got he let me play it. I didn't
3: <laughs>
4: I got to play the water phone.
3: Oh, okay. yeah. he had
4: a he had a Moog synthesizer in there which we didn't I don't think we used it I don't remember using that but um he had a lot of toys I'm sure we, he still was were
0: yeah. you just running around there just kind of like let's make weird sounds let's let's just try to go for some unusual stuff were you just like kind of running around playing with stuff
4: well, yeah, because, you know, he, he just has a lot of toys and really nice guy. I mean, we got we got to know him and his wife. Uh, they named their child Justine, which is, you know, my last name with an E.
0: Right, right. Oh, so that's nice. um,
4: I haven't talked to him in a long time, but now that we're talking about it, you know, that can be one of my summer projects.
0: There you go. Yeah. yeah.
4: What they're up to.
0: and you also in the score you also decided to use your like your voice as an instrument which i also think is really unique in terms of a score is that you use your voice as well how did you just was that something you were already doing in your own songwriting or was it just something that you thought this this will add a unique element to the score
4: it was more the unique element and i think you know during that time i had a pretty big range too vocally And so, you know, I could just sing really high, creepy stuff. (laughs) 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 And, you know... uh, if you're using, if you're using synths and you're using, you know, different kind of percussive stuff and sound effects, the human voice just humanizes it. Right. So it was nice to have a little human element in there. Yeah, that's true. No lyrics needed, you know.
0: Yeah, it's interesting that you, that you use that and you continued to do that in other scores. Like you use that also a little bit in Final Terror too, right? Like you used mm-hmm. your voice as well.
4: But I've used it a lot more in that score and I used it a little more melodically. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: And, so, and what 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 keyboards did you use? I was just looking at another clip today. When uh when the girls come in in mutant or or forbidden world and they come in and they see the mutant on top of the computer, the ship's computer. And there's a little sting that you play there and it's got such a cool sound and I was like I, want, I wonder what do you even remember what that was and what synthesizer you used for it?
4: Can you sing it for me, Ryan? I wish I could. <laughs> oh my god, I wish I could. <laughs>
0: <laughs> this would be um, uh, I would be embarrassing myself in front of a member of Van Halen and I just don't think I could do that <laughs> um,
4: I I don't remember what sound uh, oh, I'd have uh, to look at it
0: so when you when you got the job for Final Terror how did you get that job?
4: I think Alan, a friend of Alan's needed to save it and they needed a new score I think Alan recut it and I right. it okay it was either a project that joe roth was working on or had something to do with mm. and uh yeah so that was i you know i could be wrong about that we have to do an allen check on that but
3: <laughs> <laughs> I, I
4: um yeah i enjoyed working on that it was it's was pretty dramatic and
3: mm-hmm.
4: gory and but no that was fun i i um I, I mostly remember that when they were on the water, I had a nice like water floating kind of thing. And
0: mm-hmm. Did you work with did you work with Craig on that one too? Because I, you know, you used the 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 blaster beam. So did you work with him as well on that?
4: Yeah, and my drummer came in and he did. Uh, we had we had a couple things that were more you know like groove tunes in there. But by that time, I had gotten a little bit better at synth. Too, And because Craig showed me a lot of things and pointed pointed me in the right direction. So I got to sit behind the keyboard a lot more. It Was fun.
0: Yeah. What What did you learn from like working with him? What What, what do you What stands out to you as something you really learned when you worked with him?
4: Well, um, he's pretty much up for any. You know, you know, a good idea is a good idea.
3: <laughs> you do it. Yeah. You know?
4: Especially when you're in someone else's environment. You know, for him to just be really um, open with all of his toys was really it was really great. Yeah. And the engineer was good, too. He was helpful, too. So he also left me by myself a lot more on Final Terror. Mm. Mm. So that was kind of cool, too.
0: Yeah. So when you go to from Final Terror, you've now been able to see like your entire score in Forbidden World. And how, what did you think when you finally got to see the entire thing, saw the movie, saw your score to it? Like, how did you, how did you feel about it?
4: It's funny because when we went to the, to the screening that you invited us to, I liked it more then. (laughs) I mean, I liked it more watching it recently than I did right after I worked on it. And I think too, you know, when, when you've been working for a while on something, the, the feelings you have about it are, you know, like up and down. Sure. And I think, too, there, there's something about the way that synthesizers, you know, over time historically have meant so many different things for so many different reasons. And I just really appreciated that. I appreciate that more now than I did then, you know, because,
3: yeah.
4: you know, everything was about synthesizer. Now people choose to have those sounds because they're cool. right they're really expressive
0: yeah and
4: there's so much variety that you can tap Uh, but at that time i don't know i don't know i you know i i don't remember how excited i was (laughs) although it was really great that after after it was um the movie had been out for a little while that um jim winorski you know approached and said we got to make an album of this yeah. And so that was that was really great. And then and then um, this guy that is uh, his company is called Death Waltz, I think.
0: Yes. Right. Mm-hmm.
4: He wanted to to put it out there again. So, mm-hmm. you know,
0: and they were re-released it on vinyl and then it like sold out from what I understand, because I, I can't find a copy that's not very expensive. So it's yeah, it became.
4: Cool.
0: Yeah, it did very well.
4: Well, you know, I'm going to write down that I should call him.
0: <laughs> summer project number to. two. <laughs> That's right. That's right. That's right. You got a few summer projects here. <laughs> <laughs> so the other thing I mentioned to you at the screening was that I love the music during the love scene with Jesse Vent and June Chadwick. And I know that you had written that music specifically. Like it had been edited and you wrote it to that because it's so interesting the way it's also uh what 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 Alan calls the space yo-yo with a guy kind of watching them on the computer screen.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And there's like a little like there's sound to the space yo-yo that's in the song, and like uh, a guy's playing like a futuristic kind of saxophone kind of thing that's yeah, like that is a clear so,
3: yeah
4: that's pretty funny yeah.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah and apparently alan said the guy did not want to do that did not want to play this <laughs> thing but he was like no do it and then you you wrote the music to it and it it look it's works so well because the music is on the tempo of the cutting which makes it really unique
4: Alan told me about it. I was really, you know, surprised that that they could get that whole thing together. You know, I don't know who made that instrument or you know how that all came about.
3: <laughs> right. But
4: you know, as far as writing it, uh, I don't remember it coming together that easily. But...
1: Okay. But you you worked on so you worked on then uh, for, uh, Forbidden World and then Final Terror and then you jump into Grunt the Wrestling Movie totally very different movie to score how how was that making making that jump was that something that you're like hey new territory let's do something different here
4: (laughs) well I did not score that entire thing
0: okay first of all
4: just a couple of things in it
0: and you have a song in it as well yeah
4: yeah Yeah. I can't say that that's my favorite work but (laughs) it was really fun to work on the film because Actually, going on the set was just unbelievable. You know, that Mm -hmm. whole world is just far away from anything I know.
0: And they even got you into a scene.
4: Oh, that's right. Yeah, I was in the bathroom.
0: Yeah. Yeah. What do you think the connection is between rock and roll and wrestling?
4: I don't think there is any connection between rock and roll and wrestling. I think wrestling sucks.
0: What don't you like about it?
4: Well, it's just all these beefcakes sitting on each other. I really don't get the point. I mean, what came first anyway, rock and roll or wrestling? Think about it.
0: Wrestling. <laughs> <laughs> it just uh, kills me every single time. Like, how did he get, how did uh, Alan rope you into a little role in that?
4: I don't know. You know, he, he always uh, asks for a favor. <laughs> <laughs>
0: And I'm you kidding. you haven't done much acting. Yet. You hadn't really. You I think appeared in like with a band in in an Alan Arkish film, right? In uh, get yeah, crazy, get,
4: get crazy. Yeah, yeah. he re released that. I think.
0: Yes. Um, yeah. It got re released. Yeah. 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 Kino Lorber. Yeah. It's a new Blu-ray.
4: So I when he told us that he was going to re release it, I watched it, and I really like my outfit. I had this like all gold sequin top it was so cool <laughs>
0: <laughs> but like when you're in grunt you're you have a you have a scene was that a weird transition obviously you said it was different to be on the set but was it like an odd transition to suddenly start acting or were you just like yeah i get how to do this no problem
4: well you know it's easy you know if you're a performer if you're a musician it's not it's not a big stretch <laughs> to get <go laughs> right. of right. you know people or say something ridiculous or love getting dressed up.
3: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Sure.
4: (laughs) Costume,
2: Okay.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And and the song that you got that you wrote for grunt is uh, come dance with me. Was that a song that you had already written or did you write that for the film?
4: I think we wrote it for the film. I think, I think my guitar player may have helped me with that or maybe he, he was the one who recorded it. Okay. Yeah. I don't know, I'd have to go and check that one out again. I, I it's not, not ringing a note.
0: Yeah, it right. is. It's right. a good song. It's played during a wrestling match, the song, but it's just kind oh, of yeah. during a wrestling match and that's kind of where the song comes up.
3: Yes, yeah, so and... it's Do
4: you want a dance.
0: Yeah. Yes, exactly. Do
4: you want a body slam.
0: That's right. <laughs> that's yes! right.
3: Yes! Man, that okay, awesome. I got it now. <laughs> okay. It. Yeah. <laughs>
0: That's awesome that's great so you did write it for the film that was cool i wondered i was like is this something you were playing with your band that's what i was wondering you know
4: no i don't think we ever played it on stage
0: There's There's still time, still, yeah, you can still break it out <laughs> <laughs> next show bust it out
4: <laughs> mark will you be my keyboard player absolutely
0: <gasps> absolutely oh, yes, mark! yes! that is awesome <laughs> You're gonna have to really dust those keyboards.
2: (laughs) Now just be running around up
0: there like your hype woman. Yeah,
2: yeah,
3: yeah, 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 yeah.
0: There's another new world film though that you also did some that you also worked on because you did some additional music for Stryker, which is a movie Mm -hmm. that we talked about on this podcast in the early days of our Mm -hmm. of our being a podcast. Do you remember what what you did on that and how you had to write some music for Stryker?
4: What's what's the name of the movie that that was a takeoff for?
0: It's like a Mad Max like, Mad kind Mad of, Max. yeah,
4: yeah, yeah. yeah no. I think I sort of remember the the main theme to it. But that was that was fun to do because it was you know th- that's one of the great things about you know each project has some kind of music that you haven't tried before and you try mm-hmm. to figure out how you're going to get there.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah,
4: I was thinking today that. <laughs> and one of the things that i that i remember the most about that challenge is um i did a documentary about it was called danger kids at work and it was about how kids were used in the in the marketplace and in mm-hmm. factories all over the world mm-hmm. so every different country i had to come up with a different vibe you know i had sure. to do cambodian music you know <laughs> So striker striker was, you know, was more like, you know, energetic k- creepiness, fast moving action.
1: Yeah. I have the I have energetic the post-
2: creepiness. Is that a third shirt? Yeah, that
1: is a
2: third shirt. That <laughs> is. I don't know. Good thing. Feel,
0: like, <laughs> feel like we could. When you
2: said that, I was like, yeah. am I- I feel like not only does it capture my essence,
0: I kind of want to wear it. I don't want to wear that on shirt. I don't want to wear that on shirt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I do
1: have the post the movie poster for Stryker framed. Hmm. So oh, really, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> we do. Yeah, maybe,
4: <laughs> maybe you should take a picture. I don't think we have that one here at our house. So what? if you take a picture of it, I'd love to see it.
0: All right. I'll take a picture of it. <laughs> nice. okay. Take it a picture and try and get a keyboard in there. Just place it. <laughs> yeah. oh, sure. Next Perfectly year. like All somewhere perfect. near it. <laughs> so it's, it's yeah. still in the shot somehow. <laughs> <laughs> so y- you said now like you uh, are working on, you've done a lot of music for documentaries. Is there a different approach to doing documentaries and, and what is your approach?
4: I think you just really have to get the essence of the location and the emotional content and uh, you have to figure out what the orchestration is. So um, I was I was looking on my shelf. I have a shelf full of cassette tapes. Nice. Mm, um, mm-hmm.
3: And hopefully
4: oh. the last time I, ha- I had transfers done, I had them transferred too. But there was, there was one that I hadn't seen in a long time. It's called The Little Vampire. It's the job I did for Playboy. It was oh. really short,
3: oh my gosh.
4: <laughs> and and so you know that was a challenge because it's a female vampire, mm-hmm. and there's all sorts of you know situations that she's getting herself into,
3: mm-hmm. and
4: and so I listened to it, and um, that it was pretty interesting. I, <laughs> I thought, well, you know. I can see that I, I got a vibe going there. <laughs> and I didn't put my name on it. I didn't put my name on it because it was the wrong venue. But <laughs> right. um, it, it was also a period of time when I started thinking, you know, now that I have kids,
3: right. um,
4: maybe I'm not going to do that kind of thing in the house. <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yep, that yep. makes and,
4: sense. Yeah. So I kind of, you know, I mean it was a paid gig, but
0: and I was about to say it's not on your IMDB. So this no. is, you know, okay. Well I may I may write ask them to put it in there. <laughs> that's Jesus. my that's my summer project. That's the IMDb. kind of guy. You don't you have know. to have a summer yeah. project. Really? I, I, yeah, <laughs> it's that's on pain. Susan Justin's IMDb. Right. This is my goal. Oh, my God. <laughs> you were mentioning before that you have a musical and i know you're you're working on a musical and uh alan sent us all some songs from it that it's called come get maggie Mm -hmm. and it is it still coming it's still going up in october
4: it looks more like november okay i'm not really sure they that you know they keep changing their minds but it's (laughs) it's fall
0: okay (laughs) Fall, fall possibly winter um but, yeah. but so so tell us about the musical, like, because that's a different kind of music in that as well. I listened to one of the songs. I was like, OK, well, this seems this is definitely different than the Forbidden Worlds uh, score. I'll tell you that. So w- w- what's the musical about and what's the inspiration for the music?
4: Well, it's a um, female uh, physicist in the 50s. It's a fifties thing. And, um, she gets abducted by aliens and truthfully just always wanted to be abducted. (laughs) (laughs) It becomes kind of a romantic thing and she's kind of unusual and he's very unusual. And so, you know, it's funny.
2: Oh, wow. That's great. That's really cool. uh,
4: My partner on the project, she is, um, she and her husband are showrunners on um right now they're doing Chicago met, but they were on oh nice sopranos and a bunch of other things that we've seen before mm-hmm. so she wrote this this book when she was maybe at u c l a we we didn't know it, but we were at u c l a at the same time oh wow, and uh, right across the quad from each other, huh. So, um... But
0: you were running in different circles. You were in the Van Halen circle, and she was like in the, <laughs> the theater circle, I'm assuming. Yeah. Yeah.
1: The Sondheim circle.
0: <laughs> the Sondheim circle. yeah.
1: yeah. <laughs> Plus, UCLA is such a small school, it's strange. Yeah, you it's, see it's
0: odd. Yeah, <laughs> you know, Probably bumping the same five people in the quad, you know, it's cool. just not that, it's not that big a place. <laughs>
3: yeah,
4: so we never met, but we've been <laughs> friends for a long time because Alan was with an agent, and she was either with the same agent or knew somebody there, anyway, we started buddying around. And then Alan had the idea that uh, he always liked the the book, and he said, "Why don't you guys just do a, do a musical?" So we started a long time ago, and we're still working on it, and it'll be in a tiny theater on Melrose. And uh, I can't wait. That's yeah. awesome. I can't wait. I mean, this That's fall, great.
0: we can't That's wait great. either. It's yeah,
1: awesome. We'll
2: be there.
4: Well, <laughs> I definitely look forward to you guys being in the audience when it
2: happens.
1: Absolutely. Yep. Oh, yeah. <laughs> look yes, look for the guy with the synthesizer on his lap. And that would be
0: <laughs> me. <laughs> That's his plus one. <laughs> Is the sin. <laughs> he will not have it in his left plane he's gonna sit it next to himself he's just gonna lean it up delicately next to him on a chair
3: <laughs>
0: <laughs> and that's it that's our conversation with susan God, justin so embarrassed. but uh we just want to thank susan for for taking the time out and talking with us she is so great. And we so had a great, great time with her. I, I'm just She's lovely. Delightful She's, oh, so it was an
1: absolute pleasure to talk with her. And honestly, it's uh, being able to, to get some backstory on the different instruments that she used mm-hmm. and how they're also, I mean, it was fascinating to listen to. So I, I definitely want to thank her and I do owe her. A picture of that striker poster so that (laughs) That
0: striker poster (laughs) that i got you off of ebay
1: (laughs) and i took and i took to michael's and
0: they went you want this framed huh (laughs) you're like i do they're like i do okay i mean we're michael's so we have definitely framed something stupider (laughs) But this is close. This is close.
3: (laughs) Uh (gasps) Um, But yeah,
0: uh, next week we're going to talk about the actual film Forbidden World, and then we'll have another interview after that. But we will be talking about Forbidden World next week, as we'll be doing for the next three weeks of the month. (laughs) 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 Forbidden World (laughs) Month. Uh, So make sure you tune in for all of our episodes in Forbidden World Month, even Wavelength. And we'll see you next time on the New World Pictures (laughs) podcast. Bye, everybody.